Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Welcome back to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists. My name is Leon Klempner. I am a retired orthodontist from Long Island, New York, and founder and CEO of People in Practice, a marketing and consulting company for orthos. Our mission is to prepare orthodontists for the future. I'm also a KOL for numerous companies. We started this podcast to bring in the best thought leaders in the field so we can gain as much information and insight as to how to best respond to what I believe is an attack on the integrity of our specialty. Today, I'm very excited about having Gianna Hartwig and Trey Lawrence from the AAO Legal Team as our guests today. But before we formally introduce them, let me introduce my partner, my co-host, my lovable daughter, <laughs> and marketing guru, Amy Epstein. Hello, lovable. That was a nice addition. Thank you. Hi, I'm Amy Epstein. I have almost 20 years of marketing, branding, and public relations experience working with companies both large and small on everything from corporate branding and transition communications to digital lead generation campaigns. Thank you for listening in today, because as my dad said, we have two very informative guests with us today who are here to answer questions around the many legal issues currently facing orthodontists. Gianna Hartwig is the AAO's State Affairs Specialist. Her day-to-day includes keeping in contact with all 50 state dental boards and state legislatures and monitoring issues that impact orthodontists. Gianna has participated in discussion and rulemaking regarding specialty advertising in over 15 states in the past year. She graduated with a BA in History and Political Science from the University of Dayton and earned her Master's in Public Administration. She's joining us with Trey Lawrence, who is the Associate General Counsel for the American Association of Orthodontists. Prior to joining the AAO, Trey practiced with a large law firm in St. Louis for approximately 15 years, concentrating in the areas of litigation and regulatory matters. Welcome, both of you, to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get right down to it here. Let's start with the big purple elephant in the room. Uh, I have to tell you that we've been briefed by legal counsel to be very careful about what we say on the air. So uh, big purple can mean anything, right? It could be maybe a a crayon. That being said, it's my understanding that there is a direct-to-consumer company valued at somewhere over $3 billion. And the combination of deep pockets coupled with an aggressive legal posture has created havoc in the ortho community. Many of our clients feel almost like a deer in headlights. So, Trey, as an AAO attorney, let me ask you, what can orthodontists safely say to patients who are considering a direct-to-consumer orthodontic company? So that is a great question. Um, 
as you alluded to, most of us have heard the horror stories about orthodontists or other dental professionals who have gotten sued for making comments about direct-to-consumer orthodontic companies. You know, the stories of somebody who posts a YouTube video and the next thing they know, they get a letter in the mail, a cease and desist letter that's threatening them with all kinds of thousands and thousands of dollars of damages and other horrible things. So understandably, this is an area of concern for orthodontists and other dental professionals. But at the same time, as an orthodontist and as a citizen of the United States, you do have a right to voice your professional opinion on the subject, to express your clinical concerns, and to provide information to your patients, probably most importantly. So ultimately, we don't want the fact that a few people have been sued to create a deterrent to anybody saying anything. The The key is that orthodontists just have to be careful about what they say. You just have to give a little thought to it before you say something. So if we take a step back and look at what those claims are, largely the people who have been sued or have been threatened to be sued have been threatened with the claim of defamation, either slander or libel. And at the heart of a slander or libel claim is a showing that the statement at issue is untrue. So I think where many people that have gotten sued or been threatened by, by these companies, I think where they have run into problems is they make statements about things that are not in their personal knowledge. So they don't personally know, they haven't personally experienced what they're making a statement about. It's a statement about a, another company or their understanding of another company, and they don't properly couch that as their understanding, and then they get something wrong, and then that's when the company's threatened to sue. So ultimately, truthfulness is the number one consideration, but I think I can, I can give everybody a couple of guidelines to safely make statements on this subject and not run into those kind of problems. Um, the first one is there's no danger in making truthful statements about your own personal observations. So this kind of goes to what I was talking about before. Something that's in your personal knowledge and is truthful, you there, there's no danger, there's no potential legal liability for making a statement like that because it's true. So in particular, if, if as an orthodontist, you have had clinical observations that you've made in the past in your own practice. There should be no danger in, in making statements about those. So those kind of statements to a patient that's asking about this, it would look something like you saying, you know, a patient says, hey, I've heard that they don't take x-rays before they start treatment. What do you think about that? So you talking about your own personal clinical observations can very safely say, well, I would have serious concerns about beginning orthodontic treatment without taking x-rays because here's what I've seen in the past. I've seen cases where teeth were impacted or there was undiagnosed caries or bone loss or things like that. So you're talking about things that you've seen and what the danger is. Those are truthful statements that are in your own personal knowledge and there's not going to be any risk in making statements like that. And you can, through statements like that, you can address the patient's question about uh, direct-to-consumer company or how they perceive that the company practices. Now, if, if a patient asks you directly about how one of those companies does something, I mean, you don't want to end the conversation and just not answer, but you have to be a little more careful about that. So like if the patient says, you know, I've heard I've heard that they don't do x-rays before they start treatment. Is that true? I think the key there is to 
couch whatever you're going to say about that with the phrase, my understanding is, or as I understand the issue, something like that. And then say, yeah, my understanding is that they don't take x-rays, but ultimately you're going to have to confirm that with them. And so make sure that you've got that couching language around there so you're not just definitively making a factual statement about a company in case you do happen to get it wrong what you're saying about the company. So so point number one, there, there should not be any danger in making truthful statements about your own personal observations. And then point number two is in communicating with patients, ask questions. Phrase your discussion in terms of questions in, instead of making definitive statements. And in particular, the AAO has prepared a two-page, it's a front and back kind of handout that is titled Questions to Consider that's designed to present to patients who are asking about these subjects or, or considering direct-to-consumer treatment. And that handout um, has 13 questions. It doesn't make definitive statements about how any particular company does things, but it asks questions that patients should think through and may want to ask a company before they start treatment with them. Um, that handout is available on the AAO's um what we call the consumer website, it's aaoinfo.org. So that is the website that anybody in the general public can access. And you can find that under the consumer alert icon there. That's uh, That document has been very helpful to us as we guide our clients in trying to educate local their local community about... Um, the difference between an orthodontist and perhaps going to a direct-to-consumer aligner company. So we've used um, those questions and answers as the core content when we're trying to get it out there a little bit further to these, like I said, local communities. So thank you for that. Um, so uh, taking from what I just learned, um, it is my understanding that there is an <laughs> AAO legal support fund uh, that provides grants to assist with um, state legal and legislative issues should they arise. Um, how does that work and, and how can it be accessed? Yes, so the Component Legal Support Fund was established by a vote of the 2015 House of Delegates, so it's still relatively new. And the CLSF, as we call it, it provides grants to component organizations, so the state-level organizations that enable the AO to assist with legal and advocacy work. And this could be on proposed legislation or regulatory changes that would impact orthodontic practices and patients at the state level. And so some past examples of funding include specialty advertising. Um, we've had delegable duties related to orthodontic assistance um, along with dental supervision. We've had a component support fund for craniofacial coverage and looking at language to see how orthodontics could be included in that. Disclaimer language, and we've even had a few relating to teledentistry. So it's, it's across the board and the way it works is that a member uh, can either reach out to his or her component president or a member of the legal and advocacy team directly to discuss an issue, uh, bring it to our attention, and we can look into it. And then from there, you would fill out an application and um, we would apply for funding from that component legal support fund, which is the grant that was set aside. Great. Diana, thank you for that. Um, 
Well, you know, as we always do, we we try to involve our orthodontic listeners in our podcast, um, and we have a question today. So let's let's take that and and see where we go. This is Dr. David Munch. I'm an orthodontist practicing in Vestal, New York, and I have a question about what has happened in both Ohio and I believe in Texas as well, where it appears as if the designation as orthodontic specialist is no longer necessary, meaning that non-certified specialists can advertise as specialists. If I understand the issue correctly, it seems to me as if it makes advanced education orthodontics meaningless and irrelevant in those states. And I was wondering, you know, how something like that was able to happen and what the AAO's position is on that and what they may be trying to do about it. Thank you. So Dr. Munch uh, correctly highlighted that there have been two key court cases, one in Ohio and one in Texas, on the issue of dental specialty advertising. The Texas case is commonly referred to as the Parker case, and the Ohio case is is, uh, commonly referred to as the Camdar case. And so in both of those cases, states traditionally had enacted specialty advertising rules that relied on the ADA's list of nine, the numbers changed over the years, but nine or so specialties. Um, and, And the rule would just basically say that if you have received an education or advanced degree in one of these specialties, then you can advertise as a specialist. And so both of these cases that Dr. Munch mentioned, the the Texas case and the Ohio case, the courts struck down the specialty advertising rules that were based on the older ADA list of specialties standard. Now, what's what's significant about those cases, especially the Texas case, is not that the, the courts did not across the board prohibit specialty advertising regulations. They just both held that these particular regulations based on the ADA standard were not enforceable under First Amendment free speech rules. And in particular, the Texas case, the Parker case, the court was very clear. I can read some language from the case. The court said, we do not suggest that the board may not impose appropriate restrictions in the area of dental specialty advertising. It's just that the particular ADA-based standard was was struck down in that case. So we at the AAO have been working with state dental boards and advocating for a restriction on specialty advertising that does not rely on the older ADA list. And then Gianna can talk about what the position of the AAO has been and what we have been advocating for. Yes. So as Trey explained, the the problem with that, with those cases, with that, the ADA, which is a private entity, a private group, was creating the standards that were being enforced. And so, what the AAO has done is we have looked to the U.S. Department of Education to be the entity that is recognizing specialty programs in the different specialty areas. And so, 
I'll read what the AAO supports and kind of break it down from there. So the AAO supports regulations that require those who are advertising as specialists to have successfully completed a postdoctoral program in a specialty area of dentistry consisting of at least two full-time years and which is accredited by an accreditation agency that is recognized by the U.S. Department of Education. So this language is actually pulled from Louisiana's language, and we worked with them when they were developing this language, and it has served as an example that we share with states when we're working with them on specialty advertising issues. Okay, so let me, let me see if I can kind of break this down a little bit and understand it. Uh, first of all, thank you, Dr. Munch, for the call. The specialty advertising thing is troublesome because, um, it, you know, it, it just doesn't seem that it's in the public interest to have anyone declare themselves as a specialist without having the additional specialty training. It sounds to me that, to sum it up, the courts aren't exactly saying that we shouldn't regulate who can say they're specialists. They just feel the ADA as a private group should not be the entity imposing the standards. And you're looking to help to make sure that in as many states as possible, the entities that are imposing standards are recognized by the USDOE. So this kind of thing doesn't happen again. It's a complicated issue, it sounds like, but it's it's good to know that you're working on uh, behalf of the specialists to make sure that the standards are, are kept high. So before we conclude, my dad and I are always encouraging our orthodontic clients to leverage advanced technology, such as uh, dental monitoring and rhinogram to enhance the convenience and communications with patients, but not to replace a comprehensive clinical exam and records um, and, and a consultation to make a professional recommendation. Can you speak briefly, Trey and Gianna, um, about the AAO's position on teledentistry? Sure. So the AAO recognizes, as you suggest, technology is is rapidly progressing and is presenting all kinds of wonderful opportunities, not the least of which is an increased access to care. And the AAO is wholly supportive of that. But we want to ensure that it is access to quality care, meaning that it's care that is best protects patient health and safety and also care that makes sure that the relevant laws are complied with. And so the challenge there, as you suggest, is finding a compromise that permits practitioners the opportunity to explore new technologies, but to still protect patient health and safety. So actually, the AAO recently published for its members a position paper on teledentistry. And that position paper set out a number of parameters that the AAO believes best protect patient health and safety within the context of teledentistry. And so I'll just run through those quickly. Um, The first one, as you mentioned a second ago, is requiring that an in-person examination of the patient has occurred by a state licensed dentist prior to the beginning of treatment. We believe that there are innumerable health and safety reasons why that in-person examination should occur before any treatment begins. Second parameter is requiring that a dentist who provides teledentistry services be located within 120 miles, which we approximate as a two-hour drive, 
of the patient's location. And the reason for that is because we want patients who have an emergency situation to arise to be able to, within a reasonably short period of time, actually see in person the dentist that's overseeing their treatment. Now, I, we, we do recognize that there may be situations where if there's already an existing doctor-patient relationship that an emergency might arise where the dentist or, or orthodontist may be further away than two hours and can advise a patient over teledentistry methods or means, and that's not what we're targeting with this. We're targeting dentist or orthodontist who begin treatment at the outset and are not located within two hours of their patient. Um, a third requirement would be requiring full and complete public disclosure of information about the treating dentist, which would include name, license number, telephone number for the doctor, and in particular, not a customer service line type of, of contact phone number, but an actual phone number to the doctor's actual practice. And then similarly, the address of the dentist's physical practice, and then also their educational credentials. What what we're intending to target by that requirement is, is we've heard stories of patients who are treating with more corporate entity type um, treatment providers and they have a problem come up and the only number that they have is a customer service number where they report that they go through an endless progression of customer service representatives and never actually talk to the dentist or the orthodontist that's overseeing their treatment. And we want patients in a teledentistry treatment model to be able to have a actual conversation with her treating dentist. So we believe that that contact information provides patients that opportunity. A fourth requirement that the AO advocates is requiring that teledentistry services or platforms be doctor-owned, and this is just the same as the state regulations that already exist for in many places for dental practices generally. Um, a fifth parameter is requiring that other laws and standards must be complied with to the extent that they're not expressly changed by teledentistry laws. I mean, that one seems common sense, but we want to make sure that teledentistry providers comply with the existing laws, comply with the existing standards of care unless they are specifically overturned by a teledentistry statute or regulation. Another parameter, the AAO advocates requiring that the dentist who is providing services via teledentistry be licensed, first of all, in the state where the patient is physically located, and then second of all, in the state where the dentist or orthodontist is themselves physically located when they are providing treatment. And the reason for that is just to make sure that in a teledentistry platform and treatment model that the appropriate dental boards have jurisdiction over the patient situation and the treating doctor. And then finally, the AAO advocates giving dental boards increased investigative and enforcement authority over non-licensees who are involved in administering or performing teledentistry services. So many of these models are done through a corporate model, and you may have an individual licensee who's under a dental board's jurisdiction, but we want to make sure that dental boards have jurisdiction over companies or services that may be located out of state that are providing teledentistry services. So those parameters are what, when we have been providing comments to state dental boards through the component legal support fund, 
other advocacy efforts as states are considering the issue of teledentistry, we believe that that set of parameters will best protect patient health and safety and at the same time allow practitioners the opportunity to explore these new technologies and increased access to care. Trey, great. Thank you so much. So, Thank you both for being here. This has been super informative, I think, for everyone listening. Um, and on behalf of um, my dad and me and the entire ortho community, we'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your day to share your thoughts with us. Thank you thank all. Thank you for having And, you know, yeah, we really appreciate it. I mean, there's so much going on. And I have to tell you that uh, I'm on a lot of uh, ortho Facebook groups, as I'm sure many of our listeners are as well. And, you know, from time to time, there is a thread that comes by that really um, bashes the AAO. And, um, you, know, at the, it, it, I, you know, I've been an AAO member for 40-something years, and there are times when I wonder what my money is doing. Uh, that that uh, 1500 bucks or whatever. And, um, but hearing you talk about the, the issues that we're facing and the battles that, that you're putting up and, and, and winning in many instances really gives me hope. And I would encourage the listeners not to bail on the AAO at this point. There's so much stuff going on that, um, you know, we haven't even touched upon mid-level and, uh, providers and, and other issues. So we'll, ha- we'll have to have you guys back. As usual, we have a great lineup moving forward. Our next guest will be Mark Van Wield from Dental Monitoring. Uh, we'll talk about uh, artificial intelligence software, ways of reducing office visits, reducing refinements. We also have Charlene White, Landy Chase, and uh, a new uh, addition, David Sovers, agreed to uh, join us on an upcoming podcast as well. You can download other episodes or sign up for our marketing newsletter at www.thesurvivalguidefororthodontist.com. Uh, If you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell uh, one of your colleagues and leave us a positive review. That helps us as well. Just like in your practice, it helps us with the podcast. Um, I'll be at the MKS Forum on Friday, the 25th of October and Saturday, the 26th in Dallas. Uh, We have $150 off registration for our podcast listeners. So if you go to mksforum.com, and use the promotion code KLEMPNERMKS. Um, uh, the AAO has also asked me to provide a marketing webinar. Uh, it'll be a free webinar that will be sponsored by the AAO. Registration is currently now open, so I would encourage you, because I know there is a limited number of seats. It'll be on Tuesday night, uh, December 10th. And finally, we offer geographic exclusivity for our ortho clients. If you're interested in growing your practice, contact us to see if your area is available, and for a complimentary marketing analysis and action plan. My email is leon at pplpractice.com. Until next time, remember, the golden age is ahead. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at the survival guide for orthodontists.com.